Would you all pray with me? God, you are so, so good to us. You are faithful to your promises. Um, We don't deserve your goodness that you've given to us. God, we praise you. God, as I prepare to open your word, I ask that you be with me and help me to speak your word accurately and help those listening uh, to hear it with an open heart. God, help us leave here transformed and be on mission for you in whatever area that looks like for us in each individual aspect, whether at work or at school, with our friends and family, that we would share the love of God with others. And that is our prayer. God, be with us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be continuing our series, Journey to the Cross. We're in the last few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. Today we are beginning in Matthew 24, verse 15, and the title of today's message is, Be Ready and Keep the Faith. Be Ready and Keep the Faith. And the key word today is temple. Temple, so if you want to mark how many times I say the word temple is the key word. And so outline for today is broken up into two main sections. First, we're going to see that Jesus wants us to flee from eternal destruction. To flee from eternal destruction. That's 15 through 22. And in the second half, we are to bow to the true king of kings. Bowing to the true king of kings. And if you missed the past two weeks and, or haven't watched the sermons online afterwards, then you're going to be jumping straight into the deep end with us today. Uh, I'm just going to read the first verse for today's uh, sermon to give you an idea how deep, deep these waters are. Starting in verse 15, Jesus continues his speech. He says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Wow. <laughs> here we go. Even if you've been here the past two weeks, this is a very deep passage. <laughs> It sounds like, what is, who is the, the abomination of desolation, right? It sounds like a villain from Lord of the Rings. Like, what are we talking about? It's going to be a difficult passage when it says, let the reader understand. Yes, I'm trying to understand what is going on. But I don't want you guys to be scared. I don't want you guys to be overwhelmed. We're going to have some help from the, reading the context of the book of Matthew, the context of the Old Testament, and then the historical background will give us some light on what's going on. And then hopefully at the end of the day, you'll walk away saying, hmm, I think I actually understood something today. (laughs) So while it may be difficult to understand each particular detail in this passage, we can understand and walk away with Jesus' main point. The main point today is, we'll see that just as Jesus warned the people to flee from the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, he warns all people to flee from eternal destruction. So again, just as Jesus will warn people to flee from the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in his day, he warns all people to flee from eternal destruction. So let's begin with the question everyone is wondering and asking, what is the abomination of desolation that Jesus is talking about in 2415? Well, abomination is a big word to describe something that is very, very bad. Um... You may, you know, some NC State fans may exaggerate and say that something like Duke is an abomination, right? You may not like them, but Jesus isn't talking about something, he's talking about something way worse than the sports team that you don't like. 
And the word abomination carries the idea of unholy or unclean. Um, I remember growing up, my mom would keep the house pretty clean, and she just got done mopping and steam cleaning the carpet, and I got done playing inside, and I just ran in with my shoes on, and I got mud all over the house, like caked mud everywhere. The only bad thing, the only thing worse was it wasn't mud, it was something else. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It was an abomination, right? Jesus is talking about, he's not talking about the abomination of basketball or sports teams or a dirty carpet. He's talking about an abomination of desolation. So desolation means destruction. Making something desolate or empty, like a a desert. It would be like destroying a beautiful, lush garden of fruits and vegetables and turning it into a sandy desert with no water, no plants. And where would this unholy, unclean destruction force be? Jesus says it would be in the holy place. This holy place refers to the temple of God in Jerusalem, the place where God's special presence would, was supposed to be among his people, where they come to worship him. But as we've already seen in the book of Matthew, God's people were not acting like God's people. Specifically, Jesus has been calling out the prideful and selfish religious leaders who put their, cult, their culture, their traditions above God's law and actually went against God's law. They showed that they did not trust and love God or love people. And so in Matthew 23, 38, Jesus says, See, your house is left to you desolate. It's not God's house anymore. They turned it into their own house. And it was empty. It was desolate. God's not there anymore. And then Jesus predicted the temple's destruction. We saw in 24, verse 2, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. Now this is an important context that helps us understand this week's passage. Because Jesus will be talking about the destruction of the temple. When he says in verse 15, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And he says, let the reader understand, because he wants you to know the context of the book of Daniel, where this prophecy, where he quotes, uh, this, where this idea of the abomination of desolation comes from in the book of Daniel. Daniel 9.26, for instance. 9.26. It says, after those 62 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. So the anointed one is the Messiah, the promised one, and that is Jesus, as we've been seeing through the book of Matthew. And so after Jesus will be cut off, after his death and resurrection, what will happen? It says the people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then verse 27, he will put a stop to, a, to, to sacrifice, a stop to offerings in the temple, and the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple. So this reference to Daniel is likely what is referred to then by let the reader understand. Jesus wants us to understand what this prophecy and what this destruction will be like. And he wants us to understand that this prophecy is ultimately about him. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. And that it points to the destruction that will come to Jerusalem and the destruction that will come to the temple sometime after Jesus' death. And the whole reason Jesus is telling his disciples about the coming destruction, as prophesied in Daniel 9, is so that they may escape it. They may escape to safety. Look in verse 16 of Matthew 24. It says, Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. 
A man on the housetop must not come down to get things out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. So in other words, when it says in verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation, Jesus says, get out fast. It's about to get really bad. You don't have time to go back to your house. You don't have time to say goodbye. Go. But how would they know? He says, when you see it, how would they know what what to look for? How would they know about this coming destruction? Again, look at the context of of Daniel, where he gets this. Because as he said, let the reader understand. So look to Daniel 11, verse 31, for example. As he talks about this abomination of desolation, he says, His forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress. They will abolish the regular sacrifice and set up the abomination of desolation. So here again, we see the importance of the Old Testament context for understanding the New Testament. For you kids out there, it's kind of like this. Um, If you ever watch Toy Story, if you just watch Toy Story 2, it would not make a lot of sense if you never watched Toy Story 1, right? So in a much deeper, important way, you have to understand the Old Testament to understand what's going on in the New Testament, right? And and not only that, the the Old Testament can help us understand the historical background of things going on after Jesus' death can also help. Because when Daniel predicts that the regular sacrifices will come to an end and that that the temple would be um, desecrated, that means made unholy, unclean, things that shouldn't be happening in the temple would would happen, that actually happened at around A.D. 66 when a group of Jewish zealots, that is, they they took over uh, Jerusalem from the Romans, and you're like, well, Jewish people taking over the city from the Romans, that might sound like a good thing, but listen what happened. Because after they took over, it was not a good thing because they actually persuaded the priests in the temple to stop receiving sacrifices and offerings from anybody, any foreigner. So if you were from another country, they said, we are not accepting your worship here. It's only for the ethnic Jews. And so that was the first thing. It matches up with Daniel 11. They stopped the regular sacrifices and offering. It was was very a, a bad thing to do. They refused the gifts and sacrifices of foreigners. Thus, even if someone loved and worshiped God and wanted to offer a gift to God, they did not allow them. Not only that, listen to what the historian Josephus writes of the zealots' takeover of the temple around this time. He said that they converted the temple of God into their fortress and made the holy place the headquarters for their tyranny. They killed a righteous Jew in the temple, and the blood of priests and worshipers covered the inside of the temple due to the Roman missile attacks, and they appointed unqualified persons to the high priesthood. Thus, the zealots' takeover was not a good thing. It matches what it says in Daniel. They stopped the sacrifices. They had unclean things in the temple. So Jesus is warning his disciples, when you start seeing all this stuff happen, the halt of sacrifices and the people treating the temple like it shouldn't, get out of there. It's about to get even worse in Jerusalem. And how bad will it be? Jesus says in verse 19, Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Because it's difficult enough being pregnant and nursing a little baby, much less trying to do so while fleeing destruction. Verse 20, he says, pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Because if you leave in winter with the cold temperatures, you're trying to start a fire to stay warm, you might, they may see your fire and come after you and see you. You can't hide from your enemy. And don't leave on the Sabbath, 
Because all the Jews who rejected Jesus and rejected his teaching of the Sabbath, because remember, he taught that you need to show mercy and compassion. But if they were keeping the Sabbath legalistically, they would not work on the Sabbath. They wouldn't help anyone fleeing. As they're leaving the city, they would need supplies and food, but they would say, sorry, I can't help you. It's the Sabbath. So he says, it's going to be bad. And finally, Jesus summarizes how bad it would be in verse 21. He says, at that time, there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Listen to just some of the things that people went through during the zealots and then the Romans taking over the city of Jerusalem. Again, this is from the Jewish historian Josephus during that time period. He said, the hunger of the people was, were so intense that necessity drove the victims to gnaw on anything. They searched the sewers for something to eat. They devoured grass, leather, shoes, and belts, objects which even the filthiest beast wouldn't, would, would reject. Even after this vivid description, he goes on and on and on explaining how bad it was. I'm not reading it all. He, he, he doesn't even, he even says at the conclusion, he says, to narrate the barbarities is impossible. But to put it briefly, no other city ever endured such miseries. Some might be asking themselves, why would God allow this to happen? Isn't God a God of love and forgiveness? Yes, he is. And that is exactly what Jesus taught and preached over and over again. He came to save his people from their sins. He performed miracles. He healed people. He, he fulfilled prophecies showing people that he was the Messiah, the Savior promised from the Old Testament. But how did they respond to him in the end? They will yell out, crucify him, crucify him. So it's not as if God isn't loving and compassionate and patient, but he's a God of justice as well that will pay back evil its due punishment. God will forgive anyone for any sin if they repent of their sin and turn to him to trust in Jesus as their God, Savior, and King. But if they continue in their rebellion against God, they will receive the just wages for their work. Even in this section about the abomination of desolation, Jesus' whole point is to warn the people. He didn't just come in out of nowhere and destroy Jerusalem. He warned them. But will they heed Jesus' warning? Will they listen to him? Will they trust him? And it's the same question for us and everyone today. Will we listen to Jesus' warning? Because the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem is just a shadow of the ultimate judgment of God against those not saved by Jesus. It's just a shadow of something way, way worse. Jesus warns us that what will happen if we continue on our path of sin and rebellion against God. And the destruction of Jerusalem and temple does not even compare to eternal punishment. As bad as the destruction of Jerusalem was, it was only temporary. Our minds can't even fully comprehend eternity, where, this, where the punishment and pain would never stop. This past Wednesday, we're talking about different motivations to share the gospel. And one of the motivation, motivations is having an understanding of the reality of eternal punishment, the reality and nature of hell. The question is, do we take Jesus, the Son of God, at his word? Do we take him seriously? Do we, do we believe what he says is true? The destruction of Jerusalem came to pass. 
Jesus' words of eternal punishment or eternal life will also come to pass. Jesus says in verse 46 of Matthew 25 about these two options, these two paths. He says, they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He warned us. He told us the only way of escape is if we humble ourselves, repent, and trust in him as our God, as our Savior, as our King. Even in the midst of the destruction of Jerusalem, we see the grace of God. Verse 22. He says, Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. But those days will be cut short because of the elect. In the midst of destruction, it would seem like chaos. But Jesus reminds us that God is still in control. He is the one reigning, and he is the one who determines how long or short the days will be. And because of the elect, that is, those he has chosen, God has called those he has called to salvation, those who hear the good news of Jesus and believe, because of their sake, Jesus says he will shorten the destruction. Because if he didn't, no one would have survived in Jerusalem. This was true then and was true in the Old Testament. When God, God always keeps a faithful group. Despite the evil from others, despite the persecution, even the death of many of Jesus' followers, God will protect his church. The good news of Jesus will continue to go forth. And while the destruction of Jerusalem is temporary and actually cut short by the grace of God, it points to the eternal reality of eternal punishment in hell. We need to learn from those who did not trust in Jesus, who did not listen to his warning. Salvation is possible through faith in Christ. So let us flee from eternal destruction. Just as he warned the people to flee from eternal from destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, he warns all people to flee from this eternal destruction. Run to Jesus today, trusting in him as your God, your Savior, your King. And now as you follow and trust in Jesus, continue to learn from him and listen to his warning about false messiahs and false prophets as we go into our second section here, bowing to the true king of kings. Starting in verse 23, he says, If anyone tells you then, see, here is the Messiah, or over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. In other words, there will be people who claim to be the Savior sent from God. There will be false prophets, that is like false teachers, who support these false messiahs and teach things contrary to God's law. And to gain support, to trick people to believing them, they will perform miraculous signs and wonders. They might heal someone. They might tell someone's future. These signs and wonders would be so awesome that Jesus says, if it were possible, even the elect, even those who truly believe and are born again, might be deceived, might be led astray. That is, they might be tempted, but they wouldn't be led astray and deceived, as Jesus says, if it's possible, meaning that it's not possible for true believers to be deceived. So notice here the side-by-side truth of God's sovereignty, his power and control, right? He's because um, he will not let them be deceived. Even the elect won't be deceived. So we got God's sovereignty and power on one side, and we also have human responsibility right in the same passage. 
Because God's sovereignty and power and control is seen in the, in that, the elect, those he has called to salvation, he keeps them. He protects them. As we sung about, God is our shepherd. He keeps us. He protects us, right? He opens our eyes to the truth so that we can see clearly the false prophets and messiahs. So that's on God's sovereignty, God's side of things. But we also have human responsibility because this is in a, in a warning. Jesus is warning his disciples, don't be led astray. This is going to happen. I don't want you to fall away, right? So we can't be lazy, right? We have to be on guard. We need to be ready to spot out false messiahs and false prophets. It's just because someone can do something amazing or they can do something like a miracle, that doesn't mean they're from God. We can't base what is true on experiences, right? It's based on who Jesus is and what he said and on the word of God. We see examples of these kinds of things in the Old Testament. Remember when Moses performed miracles before Pharaoh, but some of Pharaoh's sorcerers performed similar signs and wonders? Elsewhere in the Old Testament, God warns of other false prophets that can do amazing things, and he makes clear not to follow people just because they can perform something unexplainable. Instead, what is more important is, that, is what they teach. Who do they say you should worship? That is a true sign of a true prophet and teacher. And Jesus continues in verse 25. He says, take note, I have told you in advance. So if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or see, he's in the storerooms, don't believe it. First off, for me personally, if someone came up to me and said, Josh, the Messiah is, has returned. And I said, really? Where's your proof of that? And they say, he's in the wilderness. That's not convincing to me, right? Why would, why would that be a proof? They would need, that would not be very convincing. And equally un- unconvincing if they said, oh, he's in a warehouse. He's in a storeroom somewhere. Like that's, why, that, how is that a proof of that he's the Messiah? But in Jesus' time, many might have thought that the Messiah would return in secret, staying in the wilderness or staying in a safe, safe house, building up a follower, following slowly. They couldn't just make until they make that public appearance. But that's not how Jesus will return. He won't return in secret. He's not going to reveal himself only to a few people at a time. He's not hiding out somewhere in the desert and, or in a secluded location off the grid. He's not sending people out to tell of his arrival. And instead, Jesus says his return will be like this, verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Son of Man is reference to Jesus, his, his title, Son of Man, back from Daniel again. And his return will be like bright light in the sky. It won't be a secret. It will be loud like thunder that follows a lightning bolt. It won't be quiet. It won't be a slow return. It will be worldwide, from the east as far as the west, not in one secret location. While Jesus has been answering the disciples' question of when the destruction of the temple will be, he now answers their second question back from uh, verse 3, when they said, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? It's kind of like when two people are on a stealth mission. If you ever read a book or a movie about people going on a a secret mission, and one of the others asks, hey, what's the signal? Give me, what's the signal when I should go to the next stage, right? And the other guy says, oh, you'll know. You'll know when you see it. I don't need to give you a signal. I don't need to give you a sign. 
When you see it, you'll know. Same thing with Jesus and the disciples. They asked, what's the sign of your coming? He said, you don't need a sign. You don't need a signal. You'll see it. You'll know. It'll, everyone will know. Jesus will return as the divine king of all creation, as Daniel prophesies in Daniel 7.13. says, I continued in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He will return one day, and everyone will behold his glory, will see him for who he truly is. As we'll see next week, no one knows when this day or time will be. It could happen as I'm writing these various words for this sermon. Like, as I was typing this, I was like, it could be right now. Like, as I'm, like, it is, it's hard to explain the feeling of that expect, the expectation. It's hard to explain the feeling of the unknown of such a great event as Jesus' return. Because we're not guaranteed one more second of life. We're not guaranteed that Jesus won't come back in the next few seconds. He wants us to be ready. Will we trust Jesus' warning? Just as he warned the people of the, of, in Jerusalem in the temple, it could happen, right? Be ready, be ready. And at the time of your death or at the time of Jesus' return, that's the time of judgment. You're not going to have a second chance after that. You have to be ready before that. Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers eternal life. Don't wait another second. Trust in Jesus now. Wherever you are, in your seat, confess your sins to God. Repent of your sins. Turn away. Acknowledge them. And then trust in Jesus as your God, as your Savior, as your King. Jesus promises you eternal life, forgiveness. And for those who are trusting in Jesus, let the reality of eternal punishment and the possibility of Jesus' return at any time be a motivator for you to pray. Pray like you've never prayed before for those who are far from God. Those who are dead in their sins, pray that God would cause them to be born again. Pray that God would send someone in their life to share the good news of how they can escape from eternal punishment. They may have never heard that of the warning. They may have nev- never heard of Jesus. Pray that God would give you the boldness to be that person. We'll have a song of response, and I'll be down at the front. If you have any questions about trusting in Jesus for salvation, I would love to talk and pray with you at this time. Or just hang around after the service. I would love to, to talk with you. This is the most important decision This affects eternity. Don't let another second go by without listening to Jesus' words. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. God, we do thank you for opening our eyes because we would not see it. We would not understand without your power. It's not by our good deeds. It's not by our how intellectual we are, how much education we have. It is by your spirit opening our eyes that you've raised us from the dead, that you caused us to be born again. 
God, let, let us not pass this second by without making sure that we are right with you. We're not guaranteed the next second. And if we have eternity at stake, eternity, help us just fathom a little bit of what eternity is like so that we can make right choices now and this time. Help us live and use every second and every day for your glory. Help us, help Union Chapel be a, a beacon of hope, a light to the lost world. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.